annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, actually? <laughs> well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we take the smartest people we know and make them look dumb. And then smart again. I'm Helen Hong. And now, from the Angel City Brewery in downtown Los Angeles, here's our moderator, J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> Wonderful to be back. This is our first recording after the holiday season. That's right. The first right. recording of a new year. 2020, it seems like the future, doesn't it? But it's the present. Right. And by the time people are listening to this... Uh, It'll the, be the past. The past, yeah. <laughs> You guys, time is like a donut, and <laughs> I don't understand. Uh, Helen, how was your holiday season? What did you end up doing? I became a new mommy. What? Helen Hong? To a four-legged canine child. That other people might call? A dog. A dog! A dog mom, adorable. Now, Helen, I did not know of you as someone who uh, was in the market for a pet, was even a pet lover. I am a avid dog lover, mm -hmm. and I, I fostered many times... Uh, short term taking dogs into my house, but I've never found like the perfect one. But then this one, his name is Dodger. He's Aww. here today. Now, Helen, I do not know you to be a baseball fan. Why the dog named Dodger? Dodger, the name uh, came with the dog. It came with the dog. Okay. <laughs> Yes. And d does he respond to his name? No. No, no, he does not at all. So that, was, that sounds like a lovely holiday that you had getting to know your new dog. Yes, yes. yes. We were very aloof with each other for the first four days, and mm -hmm. by the fifth day, we were making out on the couch. Oh, wow. <laughs> and you, you see this as your child? Yes. Okay. I did go to Paris. I wasn't sure if I was going to go, but I did end up going to Paris for New Year's. Uh, solo? I went solo, Okay, yes. how I, was it? I invited my girlfriend, and she was not able to make the arrangements. So it turns out it's a beautiful city to go with someone that you love, and uh, when you're there alone, it's still pretty nice, but it's not the same as, you know... Like, I kept, I kept pointing out things to someone who wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah. It was like in a movie. It was like half of a movie scene, and then I kind of yeah. went to splice in the other half. And then, like, everywhere you went, you, you'd hear, like, -na 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 -na, like, more romantic, like, violin Yeah, tune it didn't sound playing. exactly like that tune. But yeah. Was, yeah. And you're and like, oh, man, if yeah. only I was with someone. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, wait, I am. But not exactly right here. <laughs> uh, no, it was a great time. Also, turns out on New Year's Eve, I got very ill. I got very sick and didn't leave bed for three days. So that was, that was oh, the bad part. Oh, no. Yeah, that was the bad part. The good news was that the family I was staying with, the mom is a doctor. <gasps> she was able to nurse me back to health and bring me medicine and, and the right foods to eat and all that. And e the even better news is that she's a psychiatrist. Yeah. So we were able to talk about why I can't receive love. That sounds like yeah. you got a lot done. I got a lot done your, in Paris. It turned out it was a good trip. Yeah. Speaking of a good trip, we have got a quite a good show for you tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, today on Go Fact Yourself, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they might not know, and frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics, and finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's guest. Helen, who is up first? She is a New York Times best-selling author and journalist covering sports for The Athletic. It's Molly Knight. Molly Knight, ladies and gentlemen. Molly, Hi, Molly coming up, got a nice tall pilsner with her. Have a seat right here, please. Hi, Molly. Hi, Molly. Uh, this is a very interesting week to be a baseball writer. As we're recording this, yes. we're, we're in the aftermath of, of a major <laughs> cheating scandal having been uh, reported on and people getting fired and all that. Is it exciting for you to have an off-season where big news happens, or would you rather just lay low until spring training? Um, 
I took several naps okay. from stress last week. Yes. Oh, really? And my, my poor performance tonight might be like inversely related to how much... Another thing we can blame on the Astros cheating scandal. Blame the Astros yes. for, my, for my failures tonight. The sign-stealing yes. yes. <laughs> scandal. Uh, did you see it coming? Because you, you obviously covered the Dodgers and, and they I were... I saw the signs, yes. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because it was pretty well known that they... Well, amongst my... Friend of friends of dorks, you know the the baseball writers. Yeah. It's pretty well known that they did this. Just a question of pinning it down and proving it, mm-hmm. and that didn't happen until one of their players turned heel and went on the record. Yeah. Wow. And do do you, do you think that that, that player was Mike Fires? Uh, uh, some people view that player as a hero. Some people view him as a, a snitch. Uh, where do, where do you stand in that? I don't know that the Astros can view him as a snitch because they snitched on. The, the guys who were running the scheme and oh, right. Alex Cora yeah. and Carlos Beltran. So, and yeah. those guys lost their jobs. So yeah. Not a lot I think of heroes it was, in this. No, I think it was great. I think we need to get rid of cultures of silence because mm. I think it does a lot of harm to people in general. So mm. in situations... Where, oh. Yeah. Thank you. Back then, like when it was actually happening, as far as I understand it, there was a lot of like, there was a game where there was like banging of trash cans from the dugout. Yes. <laughs> which, when that was happening, were you which like... Which is absurd, right? Wait like, a minute. I know. One, one bang for have a good day, two bangs for be sad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for like a year and a half, I was hearing rumors that they were doing this. And it feels crazy. I mean, you hear people say, Jose Altuve is wearing a buzzer on his shirt. And it's like... I don't know what, how, what to believe or yeah. how to feel. And then I go then to bed at night and I'm like, could be true, but could you're, be you're true. insane. You no. never know. So you, do you think we've heard everything for, uh, to come from it? No. There's, there's, there's more to be revealed. More to be revealed for wow. sure. Uh, now you, uh, Helen mentioned... A buzzer in the pants. That's when you know. <laughs> That's when you're going to get Helen interested in baseball. Oh my Put gosh. Put a buzzer in the pants. Yeah, one more drink and I'll be able to talk to you about that now. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> Helen mentioned that you were the author of a New York Times bestselling book. That was a book about the Dodgers. Yes. Called the Best Team Money Can Buy. Yes. Uh, yes. Oh, thank very, you. Very well. It's a great book. Very well reviewed. <laughs> Uh, Apparently, so, all you have to do is spend five million dollars on a fine to cheat, though, and then you could win yeah. the World Series. Well, I was going to ask because well, it's funny because when we first booked you on the show it was before this uh, scandal broke, and so I was going to ask you, well, are they the best team money could buy? They lost two World Series in a row, and it turned out both teams they lost the World Series to were implicated in this cheating scandal. Yeah. So were they actually the better team? I think that they were the better team than the Astros, and I think the Red Sox were better than them in '18. So. I'm going to die on that hill and say okay. that they were screwed out of the championship in '17, but '18. Were they Maybe. really going to beat the Red Sox? Probably not. So okay, yeah. Now uh, you grew up a Dodgers fan. I did. Is that right? And uh, yeah, I, I was born into this mess. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Are you from LA? Yeah, fifth generation. Oh Angelina. wow! Fifth generation of your family to live in LA. Yeah. Did they come? So here is and... my son probably. <laughs> <laughs> Where is Dodger? He's right here. Yes. Oh, baby. See that dog that's not looking at her? Yeah. Yes, let's just, that's, let's that's just the one. talk about dogs for the next hour. Well, we, we can talk about it because, well, I'm not a dog person, but I do enjoy uh, looking at photos and updates about your dog named Pirate. Pirate, uh, yeah. Tell us, tell us a little bit about Pirate for those who don't wow. know. Wow. Um, how much time do you have? <laughs> uh, about 30 seconds. He's... he's <laughs> He's the love of my life. He's 13 years old. I was going to ask you, actually, what happens when, if, if the person that you're dating doesn't get along with Dodger? Oh, no, 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 he's gone, that person. Or oh. she. she. He or she is gone. Okay. Going back, uh, so you grew up a Dodger fan. You're from L.A. Mm-hmm. What's it like to cover a, a team and players that you grew up liking? Were there moments where you realized, what, that how they is were, this happening? Yeah, th- or that they're real people, that they yeah. don't just live in your television? I don't know. There's, a, there's people who think that you can't be a fan and be objective. But mm-hmm. actually, I think fans are the most objective. Like, true, true ride-or-die fans are, like, the most, like, mean when the team doesn't do well. Right. So I think that there's, like... 
when you love a team, I mean, I know for me when I was, um, when the Dodgers were owned by Frank McCourt and mm -hmm. his wife, Jamie McCourt, I was pissed off that mm -hmm. they were running a team into bankruptcy. So I think that, that helped me to really dig into that. And mm -hmm. that's kind of where this, that whole book came from. Neat. So now obviously you love baseball. Helen, uh, for the listeners of the show, does not love baseball. Helen loves yeah. baseball now, man. She's got a dog named Dodger. I have a dog named Dodger. The name came with a dog. Um, okay. I mentioned this on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, that when I literally read the sign-stealing scandal headline, <laughs> I thought that the team was going out and stealing street signs. <laughs> Like, that's what I, that's you know, how Helen, much. If, if they can't find their way to the ballpark, they're probably not going to win. I thought the team was like, had a few beers and was like, let's go get that Old Town Road sign. Or, yeah, oh, I think, we're, did, I think yeah. we're going with Chitty Chitty Bang Bang now. Oh, that's good. Um, wait, wait till it, she it, finds out that in the official report, it was referred to as a banging scheme. <laughs> Yes, wow. it was the banging scene. Uh, among some of your other works, you've written for the New York Times Magazine, for Glamour, for ESPN the uh -huh. Magazine. I want to ask about one of your early jobs, though. Uh, you worked for Shopping Centers Today. How did you find that? I, I do a little <laughs> bit of research. Uh, tell us what, what goes on at Shopping Centers Today. What trends are you noticing in the field? Wow. Uh, I would go to malls mm -hmm. and look around and see shops that I thought were interesting. Yes. And then I would just call them and then they would love to talk to me because no one ever wants to talk to them about anything. And then you would write a piece about, yeah. about that? Wait, you about would just call up Hot Topic exactly, and go, hey man, what's good at Hot Topic? And exactly. he'd be like, yo! He'd be like, yes, so much. I'd be like, do you have a minute to talk to me about like your brand strategy? And you know, these people never get called from journalists so they uh -huh. aren't just like... You know, so they would, yeah, they would talk to me. I, I can't believe no one has ever asked me about shopping centers really? today. SCT, yeah. SCT, I'm not going to lie. I, I totally understand why you left that job. <laughs> <laughs> now does baseball seem more interesting, Helen? Yes. yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, it's wonderful to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. It's Molly Knight. <laughs> Helen, against whom will Molly be competing tonight? He is an award-winning actor and writer who can be seen on the Netflix show Mr. Iglesias and is best known for his nine seasons on The Office. It's Oscar Nunez! Oscar Nunez! Hi, Oscar. Hi, you guys. Hi, Oscar. Oscar, you had a nice long run on The Office. It's a, it was I, such it a, was you were fun. so great Thank on you. that show. Woo! Thank you. Thank so, you. so funny. Yeah. Well, w was it supposed to be that long of a run for you? Because my recollection was that you started with a line here or there. Why are you then... laughing, Molly? Huh? That's kind yeah. of a loaded question, um, right? Yeah. Molly couldn't believe that you lasted more than two episodes. She was telling me backstage. I, it was uh, seven years with Steve, mm -hmm. and then he left, and right. then two years without him with James Spader and Kathy Bates. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was, but we went seven, thank you. We went seven years. Way yeah, to it was, name drop that. It was the best. It was the best. It was so the best. fun. Did you all get along, the cast? Come on, yeah, spill it. Pretty spill much. it, Oscar. Pretty much. I heard it pretty was much. Was there cattiness? It was so... There was no... We're old, like, middle-aged people in the... Like, the youngest one... Uh, you know what? Krasinski was really young, and so was Jenna. Those were the youngest people, I think. What does that mean? Middle-aged people can be catty? People just went to their trailers for the most part. It was a great place to work. Mm -hmm. We didn't... There was no um, uh, sex and cocaine Aww. and stuff. And no, there wasn't. Lame. There wasn't people had kids and families. And I think she asked about cattiness. <laughs> <laughs> I like this rapport already. Yeah. She is definitely trying to get under your skin. She really is. I got the job, and then I shot the pilot, and then I went away, and then some episodes were picked up, and I came back, and Angela was there. 
I didn't know she was going to be. She's just there. She's epic. I've known Angela for like six, seven years before The Office. We did theater <gasps> together. And to see her there, I'm like, what? What are you doing here? And she's we're like, epic. It was the best. It's so much fun stuff like that. But Kate Flannery and I were waiting. I, I was a catering and she was and, and babysitting. And she was waiting tables like Kate Madalini. Mm-hmm. We got picked up for like four shows, something weird. And I'm like, are you quitting your day job? And she's like, no, are you? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like no, anything can happen. We don't know what's yeah. going to And then we got picked up for a thing. And I'm like, I'm fucking quitting. She's like, I'm fucking quitting too. <laughs> and it was, it was the best. Did you so, have an epic quit speech or quit, you know, quitting moment? Did you know? Because I liked, my, I liked the jobs I quit. So I was like, thank you. Uh-huh. I'll, I'll see you around. I've got to oh, go to my network uh, prime Kate, time top 10 sitcom right Kate, now. Yeah. Kate's guy was weird. At Kate Madeline, the manager, mm-hmm. she's mm-hmm. like, I'm out of here. See you. And he's like, you'll be back. Oh. She's like, what? And Thank Kate you. Manolini closed, and The Office lives on. There you go. Yes. Wow. I mean, yeah. Uh, speaking of which, so it's interesting because I watched all the episodes when they first aired, and now that it's been on Netflix, I've probably watched the show, the complete show, you know, four or five times. That must bring a new audience to you of people who have seen it more recently. Yes. There's a whole audience of 11-year-olds. Eight-year-olds is the youngest I've <gasps> seen people. I know there's not good parents out there. No. <laughs> I was going to say, because there's some, like, definitely adult humor in that show. A little bit, but it goes yeah. over their heads. And yeah. Right. Yeah. 11-year-olds get it. Yeah. High school kids. Do you watch the show? And, and you have a child. Have you, has your child seen the show? She sees it. She's, she'd rather see other stuff I'm in. <laughs> I've done other stuff. Do you only show her stuff that you're in? Yes. Okay. Yeah, but she's she's seven, right? So she has she's, a year, right? She's seven. Yeah. She has a yeah. year till she starts. Yeah. Okay. When she's eight, then she can handle that that office. Humor. She's seven. But we were, you know, we started to do conventions mm-hmm. and like people come up with stories and stuff. And this girl came up and she's like nineteen and she's cool and blonde and hip and she's like, look, and she has a tattoo of a stapler and Jello <laughs> on her forearm. The state trooper has a picture of a Dwight Schrute bobblehead on his calf. <laughs> People get tattoos. A state trooper? Yeah. yeah. Can you imagine getting pulled over by that guy? Yeah. I, I wonder why he was showing me his calf. Yeah. Uh, have you seen tattoos of yourself on people? No, just Dwight. <laughs> so far, people love Dwight Schrute. I think it's. I think that's a challenge for our listeners. What Guys, you, get what, an Oscar tattoo and show it to him. Yeah. What would you do if if a fan came up and said, "I have a tattoo of you on my back"? I'd say thank you and wow, wow. I wish I could have talked to you before you did that. <laughs> I have to ask you about a memorable moment from The Office. Your character was revealed to be gay. Your big on-screen kiss ended up being with Steve Carell, and I understand it didn't quite go as it was originally planned. It was a surprise. To you. To me. He knew. We did, we did it twice with hugging, like I said in the script. But nothing's happening. If it's a hug, that's kind of appropriate to go to someone, hey, you're having a rough time. Come here. All right. Mm-hmm. And in his mind, Steve, Steve Carell, the executive producer, is like, this scene is flat. Let's make it an office scene. I have to make it inappropriate. <laughs> so, so he was getting closer and closer, and I'm like, pick left or right. What are you doing? Because <laughs> it's his stupid nose is getting closer and I'm like oh sh**, he's, he's not gonna and then I hear people laughing and I'm like and then I almost laughed when I went but I held it because mm-hmm. if I laugh then we have to do it again and, and so I wanted to get it the first time and get the really surprise expression so that's the one you saw wow. yeah well if things get a little flat tonight yeah, just same thing's gonna happen. Coming for a hug, Jay and I'm Keith like, Keith is going to. Jay, Jay Keith, Keith, what are you doing? Is just yeah. coming closer, closer and closer. And closer. <laughs> 
<laughs> the last thing I wanted to ask you about one of your memorable roles. You've done a lot of movies, but you did a role in the movie The Proposal, where you had this incredible scene where you are a, a, a stripper dancing for Sandra Bullock yeah. with Betty White in the audience right yeah. in front of you. So good. What was that experience like? Where did you get those moves from? It's just dancing, but but I did the audition and then um did you have to dance in the audition? That's all it was, Molly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you like, picture no Betty speaking. White and no, no speaking. Strip. Usually, you come in and you have to read lines. Yes. You know, they played some music and then they're like, "Go they ahead." They just pulled the sides out of your hand and went, "Forget this." Was there stripping and dancing, or just no, dancing? just dancing, okay. silly dancing, and and being an With idiot. No music. No, there was music, which I can do. I can do be an idiot. That's fine. Were you mm-hmm. wearing something form fitting? No, just regular clothes. You were I think. wearing like a turtleneck. Like now, like this. <laughs> At the time, did you know you'd be stripping for Betty White? No, I didn't know the cast. I got to, it was shot in Boston. I got to Boston. So I got to work that morning, and I'm like in my trailer, and I'm like, there's like little a thong and a bikini. I'm like, oh who's this God. for? And I'm like, oh, that's for me. This is the scene. <laughs> so I put the thing on at 7.30 in the morning, and I text Ursula, who you, my wife, who you, and we're dating at the time, and I'm like, this is really fun. I just met Betty White and Mary Steenburgen. And Sandra Bullock oh, with so my good. with my robe on and that thing underneath, and I'm like, "Hello, Betty White. Hello, Mr. And then they're like, "Action!" And I'm I'm like, "This is the best." And then 11 a.m. I'm like, "This is fun, but I hope they get the shots." <laughs> then 3 p.m. I'm like, "When is this gonna end?" I'm, <laughs> we were there till like 7:30 or 8 p.m. because oh. they had to keep changing the. They hadn't the even. Cameras. They weren't even rolling anymore. They just wanted to see you do it. <laughs> it was a long <laughs> they, they, day. The camera yeah. It started out there. so much fun, and then at the end, but you can't complain because Betty White wasn't complaining. So how could you complain? Right. Right. It's when show business. It's show business. It's show business. Well, it's wonderful to have you as part of our show, Mr. Oscar Nunez. Molly and Oscar, we asked each of you to provide us with a few topics outside your field of work in which you feel you some expertise. Molly, you said you know a lot about the first six solo albums of Tori Amos. Yep. The best-selling artist as per the Recording Industry Association of America and Countries of Africa. Yes. (laughs) Whereas, Oscar, you said you know a lot about travel to Africa or otherwise, iconic fashion designers, and David Bowie. I'm also a prolific liar. Okay, well, we'll, so we'll see how that works out for you. Put that in the mix. Yeah. Well, later on, we're going to ask each of you some in-depth trivia questions about one of those topics. But first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It is time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. We'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. If either of you gives an incorrect answer, the other person has a chance to steal. Your topic today, Look Who's Talking. First up in Look Who's Talking, Molly. Molly, your question comes from a listener, J.K. Grentz of Phoenix, Arizona. Listeners, if you'd like to submit a suggestion for a What's the Difference round, go to GoFactorPod.com and click on Get Involved. Molly, in the topic of Look Who's Talking, they both are ways to help you understand what someone is saying when they're talking, but what's the difference between an interpreter and a translator? An interpreter and a translator. Well. (laughs) Good start. (laughs) Actually, I have no idea. Um, A translator would, uh, has to be between two different languages, and an interpreter, you know, could be like someone interpreting a dance or ah. interpreting, you know, the weather. I don't know. Or your answer, maybe. Yes, my yes, answer. Okay. So translator specifically for languages. Translator specifically has to translate meaning between mm-hmm. two separate languages. An mm-hmm. interpreter is more vague. It's more vague. It doesn't have to be between two separate languages. All right. Very good. Uh, we have Molly's answer. We don't know yet if she is correct. Oscar, if you think she didn't get it right, you can steal. What do you think? I'm going to say this. A translator is written 
word, mm -hmm. and interpreter is spoken word. Yeah, that seems like the right answer. Uh, Molly says it sounds right. Well, uh, we're going to find out. Uh, this segment has gotten lost in translation. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges table for the facts. Here are the facts. An interpreter listens to spoken words in one language and then converts what is said into another language vocally. A good interpreter, especially a simultaneous interpreter, must have a great memory for what has just been said and convey the meaning and feeling of the words at the same time as they are hearing new words being spoken like a sign language interpreter. A translator takes written words in one language and converts what is said into another language in writing. A good translator must know all the possibilities and make the right word choices for a piece of writing. This is especially challenging when translating poetry that rhymes. Uh, that's right. Both require great language skills, but often a great interpreter is not a great translator and vice versa. For example, David Letterman once had a series of translators take the Beatles' Hard Day's Night from English to Chinese to French to Spanish to German to Latin and back into English, and the song became It's Been the Night of a Very Heavy Day. Which that's, I have to say is much better accurate. than I would have thought it would have been. Good, that's a good bit. <laughs> Helen, what does it mean as far as our score goes? I'm going to say two points for Oscar. Two points for Oscar. Very good steal, Oscar. Yes. And you are rewarded I, I with a think, glass Molly. of Pilsner. I had time to think. You did have time to think. All right. Uh, up next in Look Who's Talking is Oscar. Oscar, they both are people who you'll notice when they're talking. But what is the difference between a windbag and a blowhard? A windbag and a blowhard. <laughs> Oscar with not as much time to think, wiping okay. the sweat from his brow very... Very 21 game show-esque. A windbag can go on effusively. A blowhard is more of a, uh, um, a false information okay. uh -huh. uh, being told. A windbag, maybe it's correct information, but mm. it just goes on and on and on. Goes on and on and on. That's my guess. All right, very good. We've got Oscar's answer. Molly, what do you think? I will say a windbag does go on and on and on, mm -hmm. but a blowhard tends to be loud in his opinions, and I'm mm -hmm. using the masculine. Because we all know blowhards. Because I've never, heard, I've never heard a female be described as a blowhard. <laughs> Let's just be honest about and that. And we men are sick of it. No, no, we don't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, well, this segment is starting to blow hard. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges' table for the facts. Here are the facts. A windbag is someone who talks a lot, but without saying much worth hearing. A blowhard is someone who talks a lot, but about themselves, Ooh. boasting <gasps> and bragging about their so-called accomplishments. That's right. Now, you can be a windbag without being a blowhard, but you don't meet a lot of blowhards who aren't windbags. And I'm going to stop talking before I become one of them, or both. Helen, what does that mean as far as our score goes? I'm going to say one point for Oscar. One point for Oscar. Very good. And what is our score at the end of that round? After that round, Molly Knight has zero points and Oscar Nunez has three points. But those scores are bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. It's all up ahead when we come back on Go Fact Yourself. Hey, you've reached Dr. Game Show. Leave your message after the beep. Hi, this is Sarah, and I'd like to tell you about Dr. Game Show. Dr. Game Show is a band of geniuses or nerds or brilliant artists or kids or some combination of all of those who get together to make a show like no other that's family friendly. It's an interactive call-in game show podcast. When I found Dr. Game Show, I found joy. I told my friends and family that if they weren't listening, they were wasting joy. I sent them the episodes that made me laugh until I cried, played it for them in the car. They laughed too, laughed their butts off, but they still don't listen on their own. So they're wasting joy. And I keep looking for someone to understand me. Maybe it's you. Give Dr. Game Show a listen and find joy. Listen to Dr. Game Show on Maximum Fun. New episodes every other Wednesday. Welcome back 
to go fact yourself where our score is Molly Knight with zero points and Oscar Nunez with three points. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Thanks, everybody. Molly Knight, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about the first six solo albums of Tori Amos, the best-selling artists as per the RIAA, and Countries of Africa. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, you said the first six solo albums of Tori Amos. She was um, the, the artist that I looked up to and sort of listened to the most when I was a kid and mm-hmm. into my adolescence. And I feel like when you're a fan of something when you're 12 and 13 mm-hmm. and 15, you'll retain that and love that more than when you're a fan of it at mm-hmm. any other age. That's why I picked her. I've seen her on concert uh, over 100 times. Oh, what? Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. wow. But I haven't gone to... I've only seen her a couple times in the last 10 years. It was when I was like a teenager sure. and sort of... Did you like follow her around the country and stuff like that? Like yeah. how... After my senior year of college, I, I took off and saw her like 50 times in a row. D- does she know It was know sort you? of like being on a fish tour. She yeah. does. She knows me now. Um, she, yeah, I know. <laughs> Ever since the restraining order or what, what happened? You guys, it's like when I tell you I've seen her she, 100 times, it's like not even close to where the people who are. Wow. <gasps> real, like, there are dedicated people who fans. have seen yeah. her like a thousand times. Not yes. even close. There are people wow. who think like, oh, 100, that's cute. Right. Yeah. Right. She, does, she does seem like, like. someone who's been to 100 fish shows, people are like, Pfft. Yeah. Right. Whatever. Like that. She does yeah. seem like the type that would, she actually, that would inspire like rabid, yeah. rabid yeah. fandom. It was pretty cool. She, um, somebody gave her my book actually, and then she. Do you mention her in it? No, but oh. someone just gave it to her because she actually was the first person who really, the first adult who really encouraged me to write, to become really? a writer. Mm-hmm. She said, I said, I want to be a writer. And she's like, okay, well, why don't you just come to my shows and I'll give you tickets and you can write about it for your little blog. Mm-hmm. Wow. When I was, when I was um, cool. 20, 19, 20 years old. How about that? That's great. She got in touch with somebody and said, I want to see her and mm-hmm. cover backstage. And so I went on her last tour and hung out with her. And you got to hang like, out with someone that you love that yeah. much. Oh, my God. If only Sir Patrick Stewart went on tour. <laughs> <laughs> I would see you a hundred times, Sir Pat Stew. All right, Tor- uh, t- <laughs> Helen, we got two more topics to get to. Let's see okay. if we can pull it together. Okay. All right. Uh, Molly, you also said you know a lot about the top seven selling artist as per the Recording Industry Association of America. Yeah, I, I, my past life I was a music writer. I actually sort of have, have more of an aptitude for music than for sports. I'm not exactly the most, um, you know, coordinated person. So, yeah. So what, what, uh, why, why by the RIAA and why those top artists? And, and is it just a list that you memorize or you just... Mm, I don't know. I just am aware of it. I don't, You're I'm, aware it's of it. Okay. Uncle- unclear. I just sort of, I'm into numbers and I think that's why I'm into music because okay. it's, it's like very... New, music's hmm. And very have you ever met the RIAA? No. No. Okay. So I, I'm kind of I'm kind of mad at them right now because they don't really know what to do with this all this Spotify. Like, how mm-hmm. do you how do you like put Taylor Swift or Rihanna or mm-hmm. any people on the list? Because, you know, well, what are we gonna do? Yeah. So. No, we're gonna put Rihanna at the top. I think that's what we we all agree. She's single now. Everyone. She just broke up with her billionaire boyfriend. What? Wow. wow. Wait, I gotta go. So, yeah. <laughs> Helen, you're she's next. Into, you're next on the list. She's into men and women, so everybody here is you know on, right. on the. She's hot. She's smoking. Yeah. Yeah. She's awesome. Uh, and then finally, awesome. Molly, you said you know a lot about the countries of Africa. I can name them, but I don't know a lot. But at one point, I realized that I was—I really sucked at geography. My mm-hmm. geography teacher in high school was a baseball coach and was just like, "F*** you, whatever." So, yeah. one Wait, point, so I was, he, was, he, he was phoning it in, teaching you, you guys. He like barely showed up. Like we'd just be <laughs> sitting there. A lot of your tax dollars at work. Yeah. Um, so you made a conscious effort to memorize all. It the, just seemed like a like a fun thing to tell you, but yeah. I'm just like, don't ask me what the prime prime ministers are or the rivers. Okay. 
you're now, uh, I believe, as they say, walking back your, your chosen topic. Yeah. Have you been to Africa? Have you been to any of the countries no, of I Africa? No, I really, really would, that's on my top of my list, though. I'd really love to go. All right. So to summarize, Molly, you said you know a lot about the first six solo albums of Tori Amos, the best-selling artists sold as per the RIAA and the countries of Africa. Today we want to quiz you about the first six solo albums of Tori Amos. All right. Come on, Molly. Molly seemed very pleased that that has not, been the selection. By the way, I have not looked at these albums in... But they're, like, ingrained yeah. in your DNA. They're, I mean, like, 15 years. Yeah. I mean, you've seen her a hundred times. times. Yeah. You were very specific that these were the first six solo albums, not the one that had covers on it, not the ones that she did with a band before she went solo, not after. What, what is it about these six albums specifically that mean so much to you that you wanted to focus on? Um, I mean, I had more time then to just listen to music yeah, and right? go online and think about... Like, dive, delve into the meanings of yeah. every song, and yeah. That's cool. Do you have a favorite a from that era? Boys for Pele and probably from the Choir Girl Hotel were okay. my favorite albums. I don't know if anybody here, this is going to be very boring for everyone here. This I think we've so got some Tori Amos fans in the house. You got a few? Okay. Wow, okay. Right. Well, one of the goals of the show is to make things interesting to people, if they don't, even if they don't know anything about it. Okay. So it, it, was a, it was actually a fun week for me because I got to reacquaint myself. I went to Sarah Lawrence, so of course I know a little bit about Tori Amos. <laughs> uh, but I got to reacquaint myself with some of the, uh, some of the other music. Uh, so we'll see how this goes. Well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in the first six solo albums of Tori Amos to test your mastery in the subject with our expert-level question with up to three points. But before that, to let you show your love, here are five trivia questions about your topic, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed to hint for any two of these five questions. Okay. Uh, Oscar, do listen closely because if Molly gets any of them wrong, you have a chance to steal. By the way, Oscar, how much do you know about the first six solo albums of Tori Amos? <laughs> I did not see her a hundred times. Okay. Uh, Are you more from the seventh album on? Is that more yes. your style? Okay. I know the name. I know the name Tori Amos. All right. Well, let's see if she gives you a chance <laughs> to get in there. Uh, all right. Here's question number one. One of Tori Amos's most well-known songs was the first single from the album Under the Pink. The title of the song consists of two words, a type of breakfast cereal and a type of child. What is the song? Cornflake Girl. Ellen? That is that correct. That is correct, Cornflake Girl. Uh, all right, very good. Here's question number two. On the Little Earthquakes album, Tori's song, Tear in Your Hand, features the line, If you need me, me and Neil will be hanging out with the Dream King. Neil said hi, by the way. This is a reference to what famous writer named Neil, with whom Tori ended up working several times in subsequent years. Neil Gaiman. Ellen? That is correct. That is correct. Didn't give you much of a challenge on that one. I know uh, Neil, who Na Neil Gaiman is. You didn't know that. I do know who That's great. <laughs> Fun fact, there are several more songs of hers that mention Neil. Tori and Neil are friends and mutual fans, though at the time Tear in Your Hand was written, she had never met him. Question number three, you are two for two. On the front album cover of Boys for Pele, Tori is seen in a rocking chair holding a rifle. On the back cover, she's in the same rocking chair holding what? A pig. Helen? That is correct. That is correct, a piglet. She's going to get them all. She might. She's three for three. By the way, I had a... I had a uh, She's actually suckling a pig in mm -hmm. some of these photos. Like, right, and I right, had right, that right. poster on my wall, and it was very controversial as a 13-year-old <laughs> oh. with my mother. But it really paid Wait, off the, for you on a game show years later. The pig is like at her boob. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, you did not need the hint, but I know Helen was very eager to give it to you if you had needed what was it. The hint? Helen, what was that hint? Perfect. Helen Hong, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Fun fact, on the front, she's actually holding a bolt-action centerfire rifle with a monocular stock and a telescopic sight. And on the back, the pig is cute. Uh, all right, you're three for three. Here's question number four. Come on, of the Molly. six Tori Amos albums in your topic, four of them have been nominated for Grammy Awards. Wow. Which two were not? Wow. You do have a hint available if you'd like to use the hint. I'd like to use my hint. Helen, how about that first hint? 
Of the albums in your topic, they are the only two that have title tracks. Scarlet's Walk and Strange Little Girls. Helen? That is not correct. No, I'm terribly sorry, oh, Oscar, with a chance to steal. Um, look at me. Oh, I, shoot, I know the answer. Look at me, I play the banjo. I forgot we didn't include the covers album. I screwed that up. Oh. Sorry, Oscar is trying to give his answer, which I'm very confident could give him the, the point on the steal. Look, Can I steal myself? Uh, Oscar, are you going to allow her to steal it back? Yes. Really? I I'm sorry. I've never seen that I happen. Really, I have no idea. I okay, I'm going to take I a guess. Okay, let Oscar, let's have, let Oscar have Oscar have a guess. guess. Yes. Skip into the grocery store. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, wishing well blues. <laughs> Helen, is that correct? That is not correct. No, oh my gosh. <laughs> Molly on, with Molly. a chance to steal the steal, apparently. It's Scarlet's Walk and Little Earthquakes. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> Little Earthquakes not nominated. That is very gracious of you, I think she won Oscar. a Grammy for... I don't know. Packaging. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. It's gracious of you to let her steal the steal. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm going we'll, to we'll let you, st- I'm gonna let to you steal you. your steal. Yeah, or maybe you'll, she'll let you steal the steal, or you can steal the steal. Who, anything can happen. Anything can happen. <laughs> Fun fact, despite her critical acclaim and eight nominations, Tori Amos has not won a Grammy Award. It's not a fun uh, fact. Um, disappointing fact, despite her critical acclaim and eight nominations, he has not won a Grammy Award. There you go. Everybody happy? All right, great. Uh, let's see if you can bounce back with question number five. The album To Venus and Back sold hundreds of thousands of copies around the world and spawned several singles, but not everyone in the world got the same singles. There was one song oh. from the album that was only released as a single in the U.S. and one song that was only released as a single in Australia and Europe. Name both of these songs. This is a great question, Thank and you. I would have known the answer to in 1999. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you do have a second hint available if you'd like to. Yeah, let's do the hint. Helen, how about that second hint? You can give them both. One of the titles is a musical instrument, and the other contains a decade. Okay, so the decade is Glory of the 80s, and the musical instrument is Concertina. Helen? That is that correct! That is correct! Wow! Technically, Molly is five for five, can wow. give an Oscars charity. Molly Knight, very good job in that category. That was really tough. Those were good, those were good That's clues. That's super Thank you impressive. So much. It's really embarrassing, actually. <laughs> She's been so great to me. I'm just yeah. here to embrace it. Exactly. Right on. You're an expert on Tori Amos. This Good show is a celebration that of knowledge. We're, we're, it's lovely that you know so much about her. Molly, you obviously did very well in that round, but now here's your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. Okay. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. Molly, one of the albums in your topic marked a particular new chapter for Tori Amos as her first record on a new label after several with her former. Her manager at the time told Billboard magazine it was time to find a new energy with a new point of view. For up to three points, what 2002 album was her first after switching labels? What new label released that album? And who was her manager who guided her through that switch? Scarlet's Walk, Epic, and John Witherspoon. God! Oscar is having a stroke. Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Here with us tonight is a prolific producer and manager whose clients have included Tori Amos. It's Arthur Spivak. Arthur Spivak. Come on up here, Mr. Spivak. (laughs) No way. Hello, Arthur. Arthur, shaking hands with Oscar and Molly. Arthur, I've heard, I've heard of you when I was a child, and here you are. But I'm not a child. Good to meet you. Oh you my know gosh. more about Tori than I do. It's <laughs> well, unbelievable. Find out about that. And I, I need to find out if Molly was the stalker that the FBI called me about. Was that true? Oh, so you have met Molly before. How did you get Arthur Spivak here? This is we, so exciting. We're good. Guys, we're good. Yeah. Yes. 
Uh, so, Mr. Piak, we're going to talk about Tori Anderson in a little while, but I want to talk first. You had many years in music and comedy. Uh, let's talk first about your comedy career managing. How did you start managing comedians? Well, my best friend in uh, college was an African-American comedian and a Jewish singer-songwriter, so I wound up going into both worlds. <laughs> I met Paul Reiser when he had just finished Diner, and I started managing Paul. I managed Paul for 22 years through Mad About You. We, we Damn, had, that's some good money. Yeah. That's some good money. We had a great seven years, and then I met Tori. I was doing music before that, so I met Tori and actually broke both of them at the same time, which was Guys, great. he's a big deal. He's staying to, like, prominently on all these album covers we've been talking about. I was the uh, the nice manager. Yes, I was going to ask you about that. In, in, the credits, in the credits on her liner notes, she refers to you as a nice manager, and then on a future album as still still the nice manager. Yeah, except I wasn't always so nice. Oh, okay. you, can't, you can't be a manager what and be nice. What were you mean nice. about? You know, I, I don't want to break Molly's fantasy of No, Tori. break my fantasy. Let's go. <laughs> no, I mean, give it, it's, you know... Give up the goods. Look, uh, as you... I mean, you're an artist, you know. I mean, artists are sometimes come from a different planet. With Tori... How dare you? With, uh, with Tori, for instance, I was dealing with her gut, the fairies, and her father. So oh, yeah, it was, you know, it was challenging. And she was such a brilliant artist. She was doing Upwards, and you saw more shows yeah. than I did. Um, we were able to play the game really well. When we needed money, I would send Tori in to the president of the record company. She would cry and walk out with a check. Uh, God's honest truth. If I would walk in... Did the same in, thing work with Paul Reiser, by the way? No, but I was able to... You know, with Paul and I, again, we had a long relationship, yeah. so we were able to play it the right way. So he would be able, you know, again, you know, with, you know, with your manager, you know, the artist has to be the good guy, the good girl, That's right. the good person, yeah. and the manager has to be the one that does the manipulating. You know, that's where the good intimacy comes from. Mm -hmm. so just to do a little touting, I have a show now called uh, Laugh Mobs Laugh Tracks on True TV, yeah. and I just produced a movie that I'm hoping to get out called The F*** Happened. Um, so maybe one day you guys will see it. I gotta, I'm trying to figure it out right now. How many times have you personally had to reassure someone who is brilliant? Every day. That mm. they are. Every that day. That they are good. Every day. The self doubt never ends. And that's just my wife. Oh. <laughs> uh, I stepped on your joke. I'm sorry. Uh, no, but seriously, it's even with success comes the okay. What am I gonna do next? And with Tori had to do it too. She called me up once and she had gone to see Trent Reznor. She and Trent were very, very close. And Trent was ready to jump out the window because he didn't think his show was good enough. There's so much self-destruct going on in the entertainment business because it's a very, very tough business. And the desire to fail is stronger than the desire to succeed. Really? Yes. Um, you know, one day I'll write, in fact, if you want to write a book. I could cry I'll right now. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. so true. It's truly wild. I used to just see your name. Like, I've never seen a picture of you. I just would see your name in the liner notes as like a 13, 14 year old and be like, Arthur Spivak. Yeah, well, here we are. Christ. Here we are. Well, yeah, go on. Uh, how did you start working with Tony Amos? I was at Kate Manalini's. What? No Honest way. to God. You were at the restaurant I that Oscar was mentioning earlier. Wow. It's all connected. I swear this legendary to God. restaurant that this, shut down. Where was this restaurant? This was on Doheny and Wilshire. Wilshire. Yeah. And I was having lunch with um, Keith Emerson 
from Emerson Lake no and Palmer. Way. Yeah. I saw them in concert when I was in yeah. high school. And the the guy that signed Tori was there with her, and I knew him. And I walked up, hey, how are you, Jason? Jason Flom. You, I want you to meet Tori. And she came back to me the next day with a cassette, and she gave me her music that she has just been doing for Little Earthquakes. Lyrically, it was so intense and so moving, and um, she was living at the time behind the church on Hollywood and Franklin. Molly, and she, you, were, you, you've been, you really were talking to me. told this story, maybe. guys. I was okay. nine when this happened. Yeah, I, wasn't. <laughs> I saw her play. She had an upright piano. She was sleeping on a mattress on the floor, and I fell in love with what she was doing and mm. literally went door to door to try to figure out what she was all about. The intensity of her followers was such... She called me up from France, I think, or Italy, and she said, I'm, I'm coming home. It's like, what are you talking about? Well, I can't take it anymore because we would do record signings for hours in below zero weather because she would talk to people. So she people talked. would bring their traumas oh, to her and it became and, too much for her. And, and she engaged. She totally, engaged with totally people. Totally engaged. And, and I figured out how to start this rape and abuse hotline which I'm really proud of, Rain, Rain, Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. You think about all the things that a manager does for and with an artist, you would never think that this is something that would be part of that. Oh, I, I, got her, I, got her, I got her sister a divorce lawyer. <laughs> uh, no, it's seriously, I mean, there's nothing... You're a full-service management company. No, I and was. you have a really calm demeanor, which I bet is really reassuring for artists who are like... Ah! It helps sometimes, and sometimes they don't think, you know, they don't think you care, mm. and sometimes people mistake, you know, I'm very, uh, I'm like a pit bull, and people mistake the, um, the calmness for lack of intensity, and it's not the lack of intensity, it's just, I'm not an asshole. so treat me, you know, talk to me correctly, and I'll talk to you correctly, but don't, you know, don't try to get over on me. And, um, so you can be a successful person in entertainment without being an asshole? I think so. Wow. You know, Educational episode. Uh, last thing I want to ask you about before we move on, uh, one of your earlier clients was an artist uh, that I think we all know uh, named Prince. You worked with Prince. Uh, well, Prince was a short period of time. Mm -hmm. It was after um, Purple a, a Rain. A short artist. He's a short artist. Thank you, Oscar. Oh, Oscar, that was low-hanging fruit. Okay. Oh, okay. Helen. Helen, that's beneath you. It was after, it was after Purple Rain, mm -hmm. and he sat in a room with all of his advisors, and he said, you know, they gave him the book, and he said, how much did I make? Well, you lost $20 million. And he said, well, how could that happen? Da-da-da-da-da-da. And they said, well, we told you, Prince. And he says, well, you didn't tell me good enough. You're all fired. <laughs> and he hired the director of Purple Rain, a gentleman named Albert Magnoli, who brought me into it. And here I am. I didn't have the um, esteem mm -hmm. that I have today. I was still kind of an up-and-comer. And, -comer. and um, he wanted to do a 70-minute um, show. He was doing triple albums, if anybody remembers yeah. Prince. And the stuff wasn't that great. And the reason why Albert worked and subsequently where I worked with him is because we told him the truth that he didn't want to hear mm but he wound up accepting it. Um, the reason why Tori and I ultimately failed at the end of 16 years was I told her what she didn't want to hear, which was, you have an opportunity 
to do stadiums, all you need to do is this. Mm. Yeah. And it's not going to hurt your credibility at all. And she was just didn't want to hear it. So again, she chose to go her way, and uh, it was sad. Wow. Because um, I think that people don't quite recognize really the strength of that artist. Well, you can really feel the, the, the love and the care that you, that you had for her. Yeah, well, I mean, she's, she deserved it. She was the hardest working woman that I've ever worked with in showbiz. She worked her freaking ass off. Um, and again, when I have artists that, oh, I don't want to do TikTok or I don't want to do social media, Tori used to do four hours of interviews in the morning, go to, uh, you know, do radio, do this, do that, and then go to the show, and she'd talk to everybody, mm -hmm. as you know. And, <laughs> Molly raising her hand. And then she would, after the show, she would go and spend another hour with her fans after <laughs> Molly the show. raising her hand. <laughs> I mean, I was at a lot of the shows that you were, you know, the shows in L.A., New York. If you were from L.A., mm -hmm. San Diego, et cetera. You know. Wow. Well, we could, so. I, I could hear stories about this all night, but let's yeah. get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the question that we asked of Molly. We wanted to know what was the first album that Tori Amos released on her new label. Helen, what did Molly say? Molly said Scarlet's Walk. That is correct. That is correct. That is a point for Molly. Next, we wanted to know what was that new label. Helen, what did Molly say? Molly said Epic. Correct. That is correct. Another point. And finally, we wanted to know who was her manager who guided her through I that was her switch. Road manager. <laughs> Molly said, John Witherspoon. Well, I gave him co-management credit, so I guess we can give her a point. <gasps> oh my gosh, another, wow. another generous point for Molly tonight. Man. But of course, her other manager was Mr. Arthur Spivak. It's yes. so wonderful to have you here, Arthur Spivak. Helen, what is our score at the end of that round? At the end of that round, Molly Knight has eight points, and Oscar Nunez has three points with a round of questions coming up. That's right. We're going to talk with Oscar about a topic he knows about. Plus, later, Molly and Oscar will go head-to-head -head in our Fast Facts round, all to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. Hey, everyone. It's I, John. Hodgman of the Judge John Hodgman podcast. And I, Elliot Kalin of the Flophouse podcast. And we've made a whole new podcast, a 12-episode special miniseries called iPodius, in which we recap, discuss, and explore the very famous 1976 BBC miniseries about ancient Rome called I, Claudius. We've got incredible guests such as Gillian Jacobs, Paul F. Tompkins, as well as star of I, Claudius, Sir Patrick Stewart, and his son, non-sir Daniel Stewart. Don't worry, Dan, you'll get there someday. iPodius is the name of the show. Every week for MaximumFun.org for only 12 weeks. Get them at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself, where our score is Molly Knight with eight points and Oscar Nunez with three points. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Thanks, everybody. Oscar, Molly had a perfect score. Let's see if you can uh, put some more points on the board. Uh, uh, first, let's chat for a little bit of your many interests. You told us you know a lot about travel, iconic fashion designers, and David Bowie. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. <laughs> my, my wife told me to say those things. I don't... <laughs> Do you not know about either, any of these things? A little bit. Well, not what, right, not for, what she knows. First of all, your wife said you know a lot about travel. Tell us more about that. I've traveled the Caribbean a little bit. I've been to the Riviera, the Italian and French one, mm -hmm. on a cruise ship. Mm -hmm. I honeymooned in Spain. 
mm-hmm. and I've traveled to uh, London and Paris and parts of Europe. Those are travel uh, things. Those are travel. Those things, are travel yes. things. All right. You also said, or your <laughs> wife said, you know a lot about iconic fashion designers. Listen, after <laughs> high school, <laughs> I went to FIT. The you Fashion did? Institute yeah. of Technology. Yes. I got into FIT. Are you from New York? Yeah, I grew up in New oh. Jersey. Oh. And that's Calvin Klein's alma mater. I wanted to be a fashion designer. Okay. I should have taken an illustration, but I like the, uh, the old classic ones. Who do you consider iconic in the iconic fashion designers? One of my favorites is Yves Saint Laurent mm-hmm. because of his history and what he did with the house of Pierre Cardin. Mm-hmm. Yves Saint Laurent was, I think, 21 when he took over that house, which mm-hmm. is incredible. Giorgio Armani also has a wonderful uh, history. Mm-hmm. In America, we have a Calvin Klein. We have a Ralph Lauren that has a, a thing out that I haven't seen. Valentino mm-hmm. is insane. And uh, the guy, uh, uh, Lager, uh, Carl Lagerfeld. Carl Lagerfeld mm-hmm. is like the only one. That in the Valentino documentary, Valentino standing there and Carl Lagerfeld comes up to him and goes, we're the only ones left. <laughs> of, of Pierre Cardin yeah. and, and, those, and those people. Is Carl Lagerfeld the one with the fan? Yes, mm-hmm. and the gloves. Did he say it like, we're the only ones left? We're the only, like a secret, we're the only ones. So uh, how, does, how does your love of iconic fashion designers show up? Are you a fashion collector? Have you seen what I'm wearing? I have seen what you're have wearing. Have you seen yes. the shoes? I, I did I, not see the shoes, I no. I saw the shoes earlier. Uh, I'm, no. I'm clocking the mustard I, v- uh, sweater. I like, I like fashion. You like fashion? I, okay. I like fashion. I, I always have, yeah. All right, yeah. great. And men's and women's. And finally, you and or your wife said you know a lot about David Bowie. Without Bowie, there's no cars, there's no David Byrne, there's no Brian, you know, Bowie is amazing. I've been listening to him since I was, you know, young, mm-hmm. like you, with you, it was Tori with me, it was mm-hmm. Bowie and, and Lou Reed and Iggy. Mm-hmm. I, I like that, I like the glam punk scene. I have a, a photograph of David Bowie that's from this table this big. That you, Oscar is stretching his hands out about like maybe three feet wide. In, wide, in my living room, yeah. it took me a year and a half to lobby my wife to buy that. You have it in your home currently. Very expensive. I have it in my home. Oh, it's it's like an original print. Yeah, it's really cool. And holding a cigarette. She's like, we can't have that. We have a child. He's smoking a cigarette. I'm like, she has to learn. It's life. (laughs) It's Bowie. Absolutely. All right, so to summarize, Oscar, you said you know a lot about travel, iconic fashion designers, and David Bowie. Today we're going to quiz you about David Bowie. Molly is very excited for that topic. Oscar, she pro- she'll probably know more. No, than I me. don't. I just no. You this is know. a very musical it, episode. It, it, it happens. It happened to work out that way. Music-y. We've got two very music episodes. Okay. Uh, have you seen Bowie in concert? No. Okay. Have you gone and visited him backstage like Molly? <laughs> no. Okay. I think it's. I, Do you have a favorite album or song of David Bowie? Favorite song, uh, Rock and Roll Suicide. Okay. I guess. So yeah. you like that era of Bowie, not maybe the, the earlier or the later stuff? That's kind of in the middle, yeah. In I the like middle, right in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. All right, very good. All right, well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic oh, no, with who's our three-part question. We'll find out. Before that, to give you a chance to show off, here are five trivia questions about David Bowie, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed to hint for any two of these five questions. Molly, do listen closely because you can steal if Oscar gets any wrong. Molly, by the way, how much do you know about David Bowie? Not as much as I know about Tori, but... Well, what could you possibly know as much about Tori? You know more about Tori than Tori does. Yes. Well, you what probably do know that it wasn't in those first six albums, but she, Tori Amos does have a song called Not David Bowie. Yeah, so maybe a little crossover is there. Is she really? She really does, oh, yeah. Wow. All right, here's question number one about David Bowie for Can Oscar. I have a hint? 
<laughs> this might be our first hint before a question that we've ever had. No, no. You want to hear the question great. first? You're going to be great. You're going to be great, Oscar. Here we go. Question number one. David Bowie was not really David Bowie. He was born with the last name of Jones, but he changed it because as a musician, he didn't want to be confused with another musician, a member of what TV the band? Mon- the Monkees. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. He didn't want to be confused for Davy Jones, the Monkees. Oscar, you got one. Wait, can I do the hint, though? You did not need the hint, but Helen, if he had, what would that hint have been? Hey, hey, we're the... (laughs) Very good, Helen Hong. Molly, a little disappointed you didn't make monkey noises. I didn't make monkey noises. (laughs) Also practicing that all night. (laughs) Finally, your dog looked at you when you did that. That was interesting. All right, question number two for Oscar. Bowie had several songs make the Billboard charts, but only two singles went all the way to number one, one in 1975 and one in 1983. Name either of them. Give me a hint. Helen, how about that first hint? One of them makes a man take things over, lets him lose okay, stop, stop, stop. to fame, swallow. Fame, fame, fame. <laughs> Helen, stop, fame. stop, stop, and fame. <laughs> Fame. I thought that I thought I was doing. I thought I was killing. It was it awesome, but it was too much. It's too it's easy. It's too much. Helen, is that correct? That is correct. That is correct. Fame is correct. That was 1975. 1983 was Let's Dance. Ah, uh, wonderful song. Fun okay. fact: Fame ended as the number seven single of 1975. Number one, Love Will Keep Us Together. Right that's okay. that's what 1975 was like, kids. Oscar, you're two for two. Here's yeah. question number three. When you're a bold artist like David Bowie, not everything is going to be a winner. Rolling Stone described one of Bowie's world tours as, quote, one of the worst things he ever did. Shorthand for something pretentious and over the top. A cautionary (laughs) tale for what happens when an artist gets so big and famous that nobody can tell him something is a bad idea. End quote. He needed an Arthur Spivak, it sounded like. Where's Arthur? What was the name of this tour? Let me think. Is it the Scary Monsters tour? Helen, is it Scary Monsters? It is not. No, I'm terribly sorry. Molly with a chance to steal. Young Americans? Helen, is it Young no. Americans? No, it's no. not. No, I'm terribly sorry. It was Glass Spider. Glass Spider oh, was the name of the tour. Okay. Uh, the tour took place in 1987, was named after a song on his album, Never Let Me Down. Yeah. The tour featured a $10 million set, five dancers, <laughs> and Peter Frampton. <laughs> how did I can't that, believe it. How yeah, did what that could go wrong? wrong? I like how Frampton. How did that go wrong? I think you needed the dancing Frampton. That would have been it. All right, uh, Oscar, let's see if you can bounce back with this. Bowie was an incredibly influential artist and was recognized with awards in several fields. But which of the following awards did David Bowie not win? Was it an MTV Video Music Award, a Grammy Award, a Webby Award, a Saturn Award, a Golden Globe Award, or a Daytime Emmy Award? What the hell's a Webby? A web for things done on the internet, for anything done on the internet or the World Wide Web. Give me a hint. Helen, how about that second hint? He did win a Webby. Okay, he, did, he didn't win a Saturn. Helen? That is not correct. No, I'm terribly oh, sorry, Molly, he... with a chance to steal. What were my... Your remaining ones are an MTV Video Music Award, a Grammy Award, a Golden Globe Award, or a Daytime Emmy Award. Come on, Molly. Ooh, I'll say a Golden Globe. Yeah, Helen? that's it. That is correct. That is correct. A successful steal by Molly. It's a Golden Globe. You didn't win one for Labyrinth? That's he did not win. No, he was nominated for the Golden Globe for Best Original Song for Cat People uh, and lost to Up Where We Belong from An Officer and a Gentleman. Yeah. He did win the he Daytime was... Emmy Award for Hollywood Rocks the Movies. Right on. That a- was a... As you knew. That wasn't even one you were considering. That, that was a wonderful song in Cat People. Yeah. See these eyes so green, right? Yeah, but did they see his tights in Labyrinth? <laughs> Yeah, got a couple of Golden Globes in there. Nice. All right, let's see if you can bounce back with question number five. It was sitting right there. 
We started this quiz with a question about Davy Jones, but we did start his career with that name and release some singles too. Your question, he performed as a frontman for a band called Davy Jones and the what? Hint. No hints are available, Oscar. I mean, Molly could authorize Helen to give a third hint because you were so generous. Yes, really I'm going to authorize her. it. Helen, oh. it's been a, the rare authorized third hint. Wow, there's just no rules. No. We're like the Outback Steakhouse <laughs> of podcasts. We're like anarchy here. Helen, how about that second and a half hint? <laughs> the Outback Steakhouse, what? I don't get no it. No rules, just right. Oh, is that their thing? I don't know, it was. Is it? Is o- that... Also, I have a Bloomin' Onion in the green room. Does that come with the Bloomin' Onion? Okay. Davy Jones and the... Okay, here's the hint. They were not the queen wasps. Davy Jones and the king bees. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> An excellent use you know, of the mercy hint. Thank you. He still did quite well in that round, but now here's your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. Okay. We'll be bringing out an expert to assess your response. Who's the, the expert? Worth, the answer is worth up to three points. I didn't. Oscar, in addition to his prolific music career, Bowie had quite a career in movies, including Labyrinth, Man Who Fell to Earth, and The Prestige. Another one of his memorable roles was in an erotic horror film released in 1983 and directed by Tony Scott. You can tell it's an erotic horror movie from the 1980s in the first six minutes as Bowie has sex with, then kills a young woman as a gothic rock band plays. For up to three points, what is the name of the movie? movie what was the gothic rock band who performed their song bella lugosi's dead and what actor who had many more associations with david bowie played that young woman who bowie seduced and killed the man who fell to earth is the movie yeah okay. and bella lugosi's dead mm-hmm. i don't know i'm going to guess mm-hmm. i'm gonna say the bangles the bangles go with a woman a girl band. Okay. and what's the last one uh who was the actor who played the young woman that bowie seduced and killed Natasha Kinski. Natasha Kinski. Yeah. All right, Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Here with us tonight is a legendary performance artist, writer, singer, and actor whose many movie appearances include the opening scene of a 1983 erotic horror film with David Bowie. It's Anne Magnuson. Anne Magnuson! But I'm really Natasha Kinski. Yes. <laughs> They've always, they, you guys were always up for the same roles, weren't you, Anne? Always. Excellent. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful to see you again, Anne. Uh, some of our audience is already recognizing you from such movies as Desperately Seeking Susan, <gasps> Making Mr. Right. Uh, <laughs> you, of course, had the Panic. legend. Yes, sorry. Panic Room. Panic Room, yes. Clear and Present Danger. All right. <laughs> wonderful credits, oh, of and course. The beloved classics, Cabin Boy. Mm-hmm. And glitter. I didn't know you were in glitter. Wow. Absolutely. You had a wonderful role in Cabin Boy. I was just remembering that. It was very, uh, it was a very memorable scene. Yeah, I got to be all blue and seduce Chris Elliott. Yes. And that's how you got the job. Who doesn't want to do that? <laughs> you also, of course, have made your mark in music. A lot of people might remember you from your band Bongwater, which was a very successful and popular band. And then... Uh, recently, you've done a lot of uh, television roles. You were, were recording recently in Man in the High Castle. And uh, Helen, get ready to get excited. You are recurring on a little show called Picard, starring no Sir Patrick Stewart. <laughs> no, no way! You are literally living my bucket list dream right now. The only thing I, that would have made it better is if I was a Vulcan. Ah. No, instead, I think I'm the Margaret Thatcher of space. <gasps> <laughs> oh, that's so hot. I'm an admiral. Well, Barbara Stanwyck, 
in the Big Valley if she was in space. Okay. <laughs> That's a wonderful role. It is literally, I've been campaigning to get on Picard for like a, over a year, and so far, nothing. Crickets, huh? <laughs> what, what, what was the secret to getting your role in Picard? How can Helen learn from you? They wanted somebody to be mean to Picard, and I did it. Ah, Helen, you'd have a hard time being mean to Picard. I would be so, it would be so hard for me yeah, to okay. be mean to Picard. It yeah. was hard for me, too, and I was actually whining, like, oh, they're going to come after me, the trolls. And, and Sir P, I said, could I call you Sir P? He said, yes. You really call him Sir P? Yes. Helen, it gets better and better. Sir P! And I said, they're going to come after me. And he goes, oh, yes, they will. <laughs> and I said, I don't to come after me. And he said, I'll defend you. I went, oh. Uh, isn't he so charming? I would so charming? hire you to do anything. I'm just, you're so charming. I'm just. Oh gosh, how I'm nice. All, I'm all in on this. Wow. But isn't Sir P so charming? Oh my God. I adore him. And you know He's who. a very nice man, isn't oh he? Oh my God, solid gold. And you know who else I love, love, love is Brent Spiner. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. So it, it, it's an amazing show to be part of. I'm, I'm not in it a lot, but Please, God, don't let them kill me off. <laughs> All right, well, if everyone's done swooning for a moment, uh, let's see if we can move on. Uh, now, it's interesting that you're doing a lot of this uh, sort of mainstream television because you came from the downtown New York sort of punk uh, performance art scene. Uh, who were some of the other artists that uh, you came up with at that time? Well, Eric Bogosian, which okay. uh, I didn't know he was on Succession. He's on Succession season two. He plays a politician. Oh, my God. Yeah, I've got to, I guess awesome. I've got to watch mm-hmm. that instead of watching Korean pet videos on YouTube, which is our <laughs> new favorite show. They are good in Korean. They're really good. I think you have a new best friend. The oh Japanese are good, too. Yeah. Oh, my uh, God. We're like, we're like simpatico. So who were some of the other artists? Because there were a lot of painters in the, at that time uh, and the drawers. Kenny Scharf, Keith Haring, mm-hmm. Jean-Michel Basquiat. That question wasn't in the pre-interview. So no, it was not. I, I actually am generally curious. Well, because I'm a big Keith Haring fan. I know you, you were friends with him. You have, you have some of his works in your home. Is that right? Yes. yes. And uh, actually, I was interviewed earlier last year for a new documentary that the BBC is doing. Oh, that, wonderful. That is also going to run on PBS on, I think, the American Masters series mm. sometime this year. Well, what's it like seeing people who at that time were, were underground and Keith Haring literally was drawing in the subways? What's it like seeing people that you came up with celebrated and, and in some of the finest museums in the world? It's very bizarre. Yeah. It's very bizarre because Jean-Michel, I ran into him on the street in 1979 and I said, come on over for some coffee because I was such a fiend for this Cafe Bustello coffee. That, mm-hmm. You know, you did not need amphetamines with that coffee. <laughs> I was like, always would go out on the street and like, come over for coffee, let's just drink coffee. But I, anyway, I said, come on over. He came over. My boyfriend was out ostensibly looking for work, which he never was looking for, but had a, his magic marker. And he said, can I draw on the refrigerator? I said, sure. And he drew this whole thing. With, I remember there was a hangman and, and the Samo and the whole bit. And I was making the coffee, and we drank the coffee. And then um, and I naively said, okay, well, you can, it's time for me to do some work, and you go. And, and I found out later he was really mad because he thought I was inviting him over for sex. Sure. <gasps> uh. But I was so naive. <laughs> Just, let's drink coffee. Bustelo's code on the East Village, yeah, don't yeah. you know? But, but then the boyfriend came back and was furious because he knew the codes. He made me go get turpentine and wash the whole thing off. No! 
that's like a $10 million refrigerator. Yeah. More like $24 million. Oh, excuse me. But wow. I am really grateful he did that because, A, I left him. He would have been left with it. He would have sold it really early on in the game. It would have gone from one millionaire to yeah. a billionaire wow. to a multi-billionaire and some horrible, horrible, evil multi-bazillionaire yeah. would own it right now. But it's destroyed. It's gone. It only exists. Only two people got to enjoy in it in this story. You and your you and your boyfriend and 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 Basquiat The boyfriend himself. didn't yeah. enjoy oh, it. Oh, there you're right. Yeah, it might just be those two. Uh, all right. Well, let's talk. A, let's talk a bit about uh, David Bowie and your work with him. You worked on a movie with David Bowie. It may or may not be the one that Oscar said. It's not. Um, what was it like <laughs> to uh, to work with David Bowie, and especially in that scene where it was rather uh, passionate? Yes. Uh, <laughs> naked time for both of you, or for mm, you? Well, for no. you definitely. You were topless definitely I was in the scene. Topless. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I remember telling him, I don't, God, I'm so worried about what my parents will think. And he said, no, no, you mustn't ever think that. Yeah. But I'm going to save the other stories for the memoir. All right, very good. <gasps> but, oh, my God. But it was I'm very like passionate, and I was happy to, I was happy that we didn't finish the scene in that one day, and we had to come back. <gasps> really? So you got yes. to get naked with David Bowie on multiple occasions? Well, you'll have to wait for the we'll memoir. We'll have to wait for the book. All right, fair enough, fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, the two of you, I just... Mm -hmm. It was fun. Uh, so, Anne, and tell us about the influence that David Bowie had on you musically, because you did a lot of work that uh, right. involved his imagery, and you've covered his songs. Tell us about that. Of course, when I was a teenager, in 1972, when he first burst on the scene as Ziggy Stardust, that's what caught my eye. I was 16 in 1972 at a George Washington High School in Charleston, West Virginia, I went into my friend's art class. I wasn't taking the art class, but I wanted to be with all my friends who I just smoked pot with. And so I snuck in, and the issue of Rolling Stones with uh, Bowie, Ziggy on mm -hmm. the front, looking incredibly androgynous and alien and unlike anything that you'd see in West Virginia, that's for sure. That was on the table, and I didn't think I could draw, but I just picked up the colored pencils and started drawing, and I still have this little illustration of Bowie, and I made it into a refrigerator magnet, <laughs> and I brought some here tonight. Oh, how lovely, for the entire audience, and for Oscar and Molly. So I got obsessed with him, and Lou Reed, and the New York Dolls, and Patti Smith, and the whole, <laughs> and the whole ball of wax, and... Um, and then got to New York and started hanging out at CBGB's and Max's and hanging out with people like Klaus Nomi and mm -hmm. Christian Hoffman, who I ended up being a collaborator with musically. And uh, we recorded our own version of Moon Age Daydream. And I brought some CDs of that to give away cool. to people. Oh, my Lovely. gosh. Thank you, Anne. Do you relate to him? As, you know, he was so, so, such a multidisciplinary artist who, who excelled in many different ways. Oh, yes, media. he was very inspiring because he broke boundaries and he wasn't just one thing. He, he did acting, he did music, yeah. he did art, he experimented in new mediums. And uh, You felt that freed you up to do the same? Yeah. That's really great. Uh, I could talk to you about David Bowie all night, but let's get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You quoted the question that we asked of Oscar. We wanted to know, what was the name of that erotic horror movie from the 1980s? Helen, what did Oscar say? Oscar said, The Man Who Fell to Earth. And Anne? The Hunger. The Hunger is the name of that movie. Uh, David Bowie was in that movie, as we would mentioned, but that was not the one we are asking about. Next, we want to know what was the name of the gothic rock band that played under the sex murder scene that uh, you were in. They played a song called Bella Lugosi is Dead. Helen, what did Oscar say? Oscar said The Bangles. And? Oscar. 
<laughs> and tisking disapprovingly. Bauhaus. Bauhaus. Yes. I don't usually. Th- I don't know much, that much about music, but I don't know if Bengals count as gothic. It was very close, though. Uh, it was a B. Yeah. It was B A. It was B A. You're you're being very generous, <laughs> Molly. Would you like to give him the point? <laughs> no. no, no. She's done with all that. And finally, we wanted to know who was the actor that David Bowie seduced and killed in that movie. Helen, what did Oscar say? Oscar said Natasha Kinski. And Anne Magnuson. Candy Clark. I don't know no, if that's exactly no. correct. Who was it? <laughs> it was me. It was you, Ann Magnuson. Oscar, is there anything you'd like to ask of uh, Ann or Sater while she's here? How, how did you come about the part? How, how did you stumble into that project? I got to know a lot of the people who were doing quote-unquote underground films. Okay. And uh, Beth and Scott B. did a film called Vortex with James Russo. And Jimmy Russo and I became friends, and he would always tell me what was going on with okay. more of the uptown stuff. And he said, Sergio Leone's coming into town. And I went, Oh my God! And I met Sergio Leone for Once Upon what? a Time in America. And he didn't really speak any English at all. But Her, by the way, as she's leaving story is, <laughs> Oh, and I also met Sergio Leone. That tells you everything you need to know about Anne. But I didn't get that part, but then I, about mm, six months later, Mary Goldberg got back in touch with me about this other role. Tony Scott was in town casting this vampire movie with David Bowie and Catherine Deneuve. And there were actually sides. There were scenes. There was a scene. You so, didn't just have to dance naked like No, did? okay. I didn't, if it didn't go, I actually didn't have to be naked. And the casting director, Mary Goldberg, stayed in the room with the director. It was very, all very on the very up proper. and up, very professional. Mm-hmm. And um, I read the scene, and then um, I had to wear a leotard just to show mm-hmm. what I had. <laughs> and uh, I did, and that was it. And then uh, I was going to do it, then the uh, Actors' Equity in London wouldn't allow an American actor. So it was off, and it was oh. off for quite a while. And then I got a call, oh, it's, it might be back on. <gasps> And so that had me on tender hooks for a while, and then it was finally, yes, we're, you're going to do it. The makeup artist, Anthony Clavette, he said, you see that woman over there? She was supposed to play her part, but she couldn't act. <laughs> and uh, she was gorgeous, and she had really... And is gesturing in the, uh, yes, in the bazooms area. And, and thank the you, Golden Helena. Globes. Yeah. <laughs> so thank God I had the lines so that... You beat out Bazoom's girl. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a lesson uh, for the kids out there somehow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and if people want to find out more about you or your work, where can they go? Oh, go to annmagnuson.com. You can go to my store and get the Bowie magnet. I have a few here for people if they want. And I've got a lot of free Moon Age Daydream CDs. And uh, I've got a special Moon Age Daydream Lunar Impeachment hearing stash bag. Wow. For Oscar. For Oscar. It was already a great gift to have you here, and now you have actual gifts. We certainly appreciate Ms. Ann Magnuson. Wonderful to see you, my friend. Helen, what is our score going into the final round? At the end of that round, Molly Knight has nine points, and Oscar Nunez has six points. All right, now it is time for our final round we call Fast Facts. I'll read ten statements, and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with Molly and alternate between each guest. Each correct answer is worth one point. Again, the answer to each statement is true or false. Here we begin. Molly, George Washington was the first president of the United States. 
True. That is correct. Oscar, George Washington was married to Martha Washington. True. Correct. Molly, actor Carrie Washington is related to Martha Washington. False. Correct. Oscar, Carrie Washington is related to Denzel Washington. False. Correct. Molly, Carrie Washington is related to former Secretary of State Colin Powell. True. Correct. Yes, they're cousins. Oscar, Carrie Washington is related to Lenny Kravitz. False. Correct. Molly, Lenny Kravitz is related to Zoe Kravitz. True. Correct. That's right. It's her father. Oscar, Lenny Kravitz is related to Al Roker. False. Incorrect. No, they really are. They're Ah. second cousins. Molly, comedian Amy Schumer is related to Senator Chuck Schumer. True. Correct. That's right. They're second cousins. Oscar, Brooke Shields is related to Glenn Close. False. Incorrect. No, they're actually cousins. Molly, Brooke Shields and Glenn Close are second cousins. True. Incorrect. No, I'm sorry. They're second cousins once removed. And finally, Oscar, you can explain what second cousins once removed are in 10 seconds or less. I cannot. I... True. That is Correct. true. Let's give a nice hand to Oscar Nunez and Molly Knight. Those last two we're not going to count as Helen tabulates the final score. Helen, are you ready to announce the winner of today's episode? I am at the end of the game. Molly Knight has 14 points and Oscar Nunez has nine points. Congratulations, Molly Knight. You are the facting champion on Go Fact Yourself. What will you do with your championship? I will lord it over Oscar for the rest of our lives. No, I'll just hug everyone on the way out. She'll hug everyone on the way out. What a lovely use of your championship. Congratulations, Molly and Oscar hugging very appropriately, very kindly. We certainly appreciate that. That just leaves us the opportunity for everyone on the panel to tell us where and when they can see you. Molly, what do you have going on? Where can people find you? Find me on my Twitter account. I'm messing around daily. Molly underscore night. And on The Athletic as well. Yeah, on The Athletic as well. Yeah, yeah. That's that's where I write, like, real words. But, you know, the Twitter is where the action happens. It really is. We certainly appreciate the action that you brought to this show, Ms. Molly Knight, ladies and gentlemen. Yay! Oscar Nunez, what a pleasure it was. Where can people find you? Thank you. Um, uh, Mystery Iglesias on Netflix and um, on Twitter, I think it's Oscar Nunez LA or something. Look for Oscar uh, Nunez uh, LA, LA or something. And I, I want to go to Wisconsin and register uh, Democrats to vote with uh, Fair Fight. Excellent. Yes. So we'll look for you in Wisconsin as well. Yeah. Excellent. Very good. Oscar Nunez, wonderful to be with you again. Ladies and gentlemen, you lucky, lucky people are even luckier because my hosting partner and your co-host is Ms. Helen Hong. Yay! You can find me on the socials at Funny Helen Hong because that other bitch named Helen Hong has all my handles. And she's now a full-fledged bitch because before she was a biatch, then she was just some other lady. Now she's back yeah, full-on Yeah, I'm bitch. feeling a little catty today. All right. I'm feeling a little catty today. Ironic that you have uh, a dog. You can also find me uh, standing in the rain outside of uh, Picard's trailer. Uh-huh. <laughs> Going, Sir Pat Stew, all I want is to be nice to you on camera. As a Vulcan. Yep. Look for Helen's court case coming this fall. <laughs> Ms. Helen Hong. Uh, and me, you can find me on Twitter at J underscore Keith, on Instagram at jkeith.net, all spelled out. That just leaves me to thank Molly Knight, Oscar Nunez, Arthur Spivak, and Magnuson. Please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at GoFactorPod. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Update our wiki at gofactorwiki.fandom.com and buy our T-shaped shirt at maxfunstore.com. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night. Like what you hear? Come see us live. It's free. Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets. And give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts like KT Fem did. He, she, or they said, Jay Keith and Helen are such wonderful hosts. They're quick-witted and charismatic. Great host chemistry. Thanks, KT Fem. Hey, Helen, how about that host chemistry? <laughs> That's pretty good. Go Factor!
Yourself is a panel quiz program devised by Jim Newman and J. Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from the Angel City Brewery in Los Angeles. Questions on Go Fact Yourself were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. It is produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Go Fact Yourself's theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Maximum Fun senior producer is Laura Swisher. The show is edited by Julian Burrell. Dave McKeever is our live sound engineer. Special thanks to Craig Van Doren, Lucy Miller, and Ernest Cowell at Honor Flight Southland, Carol Babely, Dr. Travis Longcore, and Dr. Margot Griswold at the Los Angeles Audubon Society, Robin Randall, Julia W.D. Harrison, Bruce Smith, Leora Saul, Spencer Marks, Mike Avellanos, Carol Davis, Adam Needif, Dave Bianchi, Eric Tran, and Christine Velada. I've been Helen Hong! Let's go stop Patrick Stewart! Hi, this is Julian Burrell, the editor of Go Fact Yourself. As part of our Max Fun Drive celebration, we've got a special mini episode that will come out March 6th. It's Jay Keith and Helen getting interviewed on WGN Radio 720, which thankfully went better than their planned TV appearance. Earlier this morning, you guys made an unbelievable appearance on the WGN <laughs> yeah, TV for, Morning News. For literally point zero seconds. Yeah. Zero seconds. Yeah. What happened? We were supposed to do a segment, and we were there early, and yeah. they were like, oh, you know, we're we're just running a little late and then we they finally sit us at the desk and yeah. they're like and this great new podcast is happening that but that's all the time we have bye yeah. <laughs> they literally it literally cut oh. off when she was saying we're, we're running out of time but if you want to find out more the website is and then <laughs> at least you got that it was literally it. a scene from yeah. a movie yeah. catch that special mini episode of go fact yourself on march 6th maximumfun.org comedy and culture artist owned audience supported